Welcome. I'm Lori Lee Benstock, and you're listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. In my effort to bring awareness to those who have suffered from trauma and PTSD, as well as honor our veterans in a month dedicated to their service to this country, I want to continue the conversation. Just this year, the number of suicides of active military has increased 20% than in previous years and a 30% spike in the military. According to the Associated Press, to combat this, Army leaders are looking at shortening combat deployments. Joining me to talk more about these invisible wounds plaguing many in the military is Army veteran Tom Voss, mental health advocate for fellow veterans and author of Where the War Ends. Tom, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So you've written this poignant memoir titled Where the War Ends, detailing your journey to begin your healing from PTSD. Could you tell me a little bit about the trauma you experienced in the military? So I deployed to Mosul, Iraq. I was uh, active duty army from 2003 to 2006, then deployed to Mosul, Iraq, 2004 to 2005. That was some of the uh, you know most intense fighting that was going on in the Iraq war at that time. Um, so when I deployed, deployed, um, you know, I, I was I was 20 years old, um, you know, just had a, about a year of training before we went. And uh, when we went there, um, everything that we uh, experienced in training, at least this was my experience that um, had no, it didn't really prepare you for um, actual combat. So mm-hmm. um, through that process, my platoon sergeant was killed in action, one of our squad leaders was killed in action. Um, I took a uh, RPG or a rocket propelled grenade shrapnel to the head um, while I was there and I got knocked unconscious. Um, so there's a lot of different things uh, on top of the, the personal loss. Um, you know, you see a lot of civilian casualties um, and, and a lot of things that, you know, you want to help, but you don't have the capacity to or um, you have orders for a different mission. I know one of my uh, good friends um, ended up um, wanting to help a bunch of people who were wounded uh, by a mortar round, but was given an order not to. Um, so that leads to what uh, I write about in the book called moral injury. Uh, moral injury is when you witness or participate in something that goes against your uh, moral scaffolding or your moral structure, who you are morally. And this is what's inherent in war. So, um, you know, whether you like it or not, that's kind of. Um, you know, the underlying theme is, is chaos and stress and um, sadness and all these things that, um, you know, you experience in a 12-month period and you're, you know, working 24-7. So there's no time to really process what you experience. And um, that's what I tried to um, at least process in the book, Where War Ends. When you enlisted into the military, were you aware of the possibility of the trauma from combat? I mean, you really don't have uh, firsthand experience of war. So, you know, like I said before, the the training that you do um, tries to get you in the ballpark of what you're going to be doing over there, but um, it doesn't really prepare you for, um, you know, how do you grieve the loss of your friends and still work? You know, how do you um, process the death of civilians um, that you're there to, to, 
protect and serve and all these different things. And you're not able to do that. And you see the aftermath of not being able to protect them. Um, so it's really hard to train people to prepare for that. So, um, you know, one of the things that um, has helped me a lot is um, breath work and meditation. Uh, and these things are tools to help manage stress. And I think, you know, I'm sure we'll get to this. You'd mentioned uh, shorter deployments. Um, one of the things that um, is really uh, important to me is having stress management tools. You know, we uh, exercise quite a bit in the military. You know, we do PT and all these different things. Um, but you need a little bit more uh, based on my experience to be able to manage uh, the stresses of combat. And when you say a little bit more, um, what do you believe that is? I mean, that that does sound, I can't even picture that having to deal with losing multiple friends and then just having to go back to work. Is there a mm -hmm. down, I mean, I guess it is war. It's like you, you're hypervigilant all the time, but do you right. get time to grieve? Is there that opportunity at all for even just a little bit of processing? Yeah, and, and keep in mind this was, uh, you know, this was years ago. So the military might have new um, things in place to help manage this. But at the time um, when we were deployed, we were given a few days off. Um, and that was mostly so that we could kind of cool down. There's a lot of anger um, and sadness. And, and, and this was an effort so we didn't retaliate for the death of our friends. So they you know, kind of forced us to take a few days off. And in that time, we had uh, small memorial services for our friends. And then, you know, the following week, we were back out again. So you don't really have time um, to even process uh, what's happening. You're just in action um, most of the time. So, you know, there it, it would be, you know, coming back from a 72-hour mission where we were out for 72 hours, we would come back and, you know, maybe we would get a, a meal at the chow hall and then, you know, we would go to sleep. And then within 15 minutes, you get a knock on your door to put all your stuff back on. We need to go back out. Um, so it was like that for um, uh, for a year. And like we were just talking about shortening combat missions, um, deployments. Do you mm -hmm. think that is helpful? Um, yes and no. So uh, from my experience, there's a benefit for being there for 12 months because you get to um, know people in the community, you get to build relationships, you, you can see the progress that you're making. Um, and, um, you know, there was talk when I was there of, you know, why are they pulling this out after 12 months? Let's just stay and just, you know, get a real hold, like get a, get a foothold on this place. Mm -hmm. And uh, the insurgency at that time knew that every 12 months we'd have another group come in. So they would wait for that group to come in and then they would watch them and then they would attack um, and you know try to catch these uh, the new uh, incoming uh, troops off guard. Uh, so we saw we saw problems with um, you know even even a 12 month deployment is 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 challenging. So you reduce that, which um, some units in the in the military and different branches of the military have six month deployments. But that doesn't uh, guarantee less trauma. Um, you know, something could happen within the first month that could ruin the rest of the 12 months, you know. So um, although I like the, the thought of um, 
the military putting effort into trying to manage this. Um, I really don't think the duration um, has that much of an impact on when it comes to a trauma standpoint. Um, so if we're not, we're not giving the men and women who are deploying tools to manage the stress personally on a personal level, um, it's, um, you know, it's still gonna be the same, the same issues, I think. Okay. What was the hardest part in returning home? Well, one of the hardest things for me was um, after I separated from the military, so I was active duty and I was stationed at Fort Lewis, Washington, um, coming home to Wisconsin where there's no active duty military base in Wisconsin. So I didn't have anyone to connect with. And I think this is uh, where veterans start to feel isolation um, because of the experience of war and because it's so uh, grand and horrible and amazing and all these different things combined. Uh, there's nothing like it um, to compare it to. Uh, and then you come home and no one has that experience. So it was such a bizarre experience for me because I came home from war and had this uh, just unbelievable experience uh, fighting in Iraq. And then I come home and all my friends are doing the exact same thing that they were doing when I left. Um, so I had changed uh, profoundly and the people around me had not. And it was hard for me to be able to express why I changed and what I experienced when um, you, it's an indescribable experience for most, for most people. I mean, you can read you know, all the war stories you want and watch all the movies you want, but until you know, you're being actively shot at or actively hunted down and roadside bombs and car bombs and all these different things, um, you don't know the, the you know the, the primal fear that goes with um, all those things. And there was a point in time where, you know, 20 years old, I had to accept my own death. Um, and that actually helped me be a better soldier. And, and it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but uh, you know, there was a point where I was like, I'm gonna die here. And once I kind of accepted that, it allowed me to kind of free up um, that fear. Uh, to move on. So how do I come home and explain that to my friends? You know, how do I explain that to, you know, people who are coming up to me and asking me if I've killed anyone? You know, that's the first thing that, you know, some people want to ask and want to talk about. So it's just like the ignorance behind it. They just don't know the experience. And a lot of them have experience playing video games and all those different things that, you know, they think they know what it's like, but until you're in that situation and you're, you know, face to face with it, it really doesn't, um, you know, hold water to, to compare those things. So coming home, um, you know, I shoved everything down. I tried to move on with my life and tried to put my military and deployment experience behind me without, um, you know, giving it a second thought. And that's um, when things kind of snowball and get out of control. So it was really an isolating experience coming home. And I think a lot of veterans, um, uh, face that. And that's where you can see the, the suicide epidemic in the veteran community. And I think, you know, last report that came out, it's uh, 20 veterans a day, um, averaging out to about every, a little over every 65 minutes um, for veterans taking their life. And, and, you know, some people will say, well, that's older veterans, but, you know, it's eventually going to be veterans that are my age. I've lost a couple of friends already, 
to, to suicide or to uh, combat related um, incidents. So like alcoholism is a big one too. Mm-hmm. Um, prescription medication abuse, all these different things that uh, men and women are using to try to numb themselves from feeling the uh, horrible uh, experiences of uh, combat. Yeah. I Were you able to seek help when you got home? So like many veterans, um, it took me about two years to even go in to ask uh, for help. And I didn't even want to go in and talk to anyone. Um, and it was my sister that actually recommended that I go in and talk to someone. So uh, she noticed that I was drinking more and that, you know, I'm from, I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And it's hard to uh, pick that out because it's everyone, everyone there loves, uh, you know, to, to drink. So mm-hmm. uh, she noticed that, you know, I wasn't engaging with friends and, you know, just kind of muted. And, um, you know, she's understood that there was something else going on and um, asked me if I'd go talk to someone. And I told her the only way that I would go talk to someone is if it was a combat veteran and they were deployed to Iraq. Um, and that was my kind of uh, barriers that I put up for her. I'm like, well, if you can find someone who is a social worker that has had similar experiences to what I've, I've had, I'll go. Um, and luckily for me, she found someone. And then I started mm-hmm. uh, going in uh, to a vet center. And um, that was my first um, experience with going in and and seeing a clinical provider uh, for health um, and for uh, post-traumatic stress. Well, yeah, I I believe that's that's usually the issue with a lot of people seeking help is that they want someone who has kind of been down the road that they've been. They don't want to spend... They don't want to spend their however long their hour trying to educate them, you know, about what's, you right. know, this is what's happening. You know, I need you to know what's happening um, and because I need you right. to be able to help me. Um, right. What was it that, like, what, what were the symptoms? I know you said you were drinking, you're isolating. Mm-hmm. Was there, were there any, was there anything else where you felt like I really need to see somebody, but you're just afraid to, cause I feel like that's, that happens a lot for people who have experienced trauma. Cause they're like, there's no way anyone's going to be able to help me. Did you ever feel that? Um, yeah, yeah. A little bit that no one would understand the experience, but because of the military training, there's this kind of self-imposed prison, I guess you kind of put yourself in because uh, we're taught in the infantry that, um, you know, to be strong and not to be a weak link and, um, you know, rather die honorably than, um, you know, show weakness. So that's kind of ingrained in us um, going through and that serves you well when you're in combat and when you're in life and death situations. But when you get out, it doesn't really serve you to not ask for help, to not um, um, just slowly deteriorate. And, you know, that's what happened with me was uh, I would destroy relationships, um, withdraw, um, isolate myself. And, um, you know, I was suffering from insomnia and flashbacks and 
um, all sorts of different things and, you know, adding in risky behaviors as as drinking and drug abuse and um, different things like that, um, pretty much living like I was already dead. So um, it didn't matter to me um, what happened to me. So at that point, I was just going through the motions of living my life. And, you know, if I didn't wake up, that's fine with me. Um, that was kind of the mentality that, that I was in. Wow. And, you know, the book that you wrote, um, where the war ends, you embarked on a 2,700 mile journey. Can you tell me about that? What, what, what made you do that? When was it where you fit, you, you said, I need to go big. Right. Well, it really was out of necessity. Um, At that point, like I said before, uh, a few of my friends had um, died by suicide. Um, Others had passed away early. And I knew that if I didn't do something, that was going to be me. And at that time, I was contemplating taking my own life. um, Because why would I want to live a life that, you know, I'm just completely just suffering in silence every day. And uh, that... Yeah, I mean, that uh, mentality is, is a slippery slope. Uh, so I knew I needed to do something that was going to pull me out of the environment that I was in. So, you know, I was caught in the cycle of drinking and, you know, hanging out with people that, you know, all we would do is pretty much drink. And that's, you know, that was the main activity. Uh, so I knew that I needed to get, get away and get out of that environment to really try to process uh, the experiences that I had because I, I hadn't at that time had the time to really think about, you know, what did I experience? How did it impact me? Um, you know, I was 20 years old, 21, uh, when I got out of the military. So, you know, really not being able to, um, understand the impact and how it's impacting my life, my family and these different things. So, it was kind of a last ditch effort to say, okay, before I take my own life, I need to make a, um, a pact with myself that I'm going to put in some effort to really try to be better and try to understand and try to, um, um, get well. And at that point I had been in and out of the VA, um, you know, going to many different doctors. And it's one of the challenging things about is finding a, a mental health care provider is, is, you know, you have to put in the time to find someone that resonates with you. Otherwise it's, it's a challenging process. And I think people get frustrated uh, immediately when they, you know, meet with someone and they're like, Oh, this person's not even listening to what I'm saying. And then they just throw their hands up and, you know, I'm done with therapy in general. So the trek was something to really, break out of that cycle. And, and fortunately enough, I had a friend who, who uh, was in the same boat. His name's Anthony. And uh, he said, you know, I'm going through the same things. Uh, would you mind if I came with you? And both of us left from Milwaukee, Wisconsin and uh, walked uh, with rucksacks or our backpacks and uh, trekked from Wisconsin to California over five months. And uh, through that process, I think we really, um, made some progress. But, you know, towards the end of that, I, I really uh, uh, came to the understanding that this was just the beginning of, of my healing process and that that's it's not really a destination, uh, you know, to be healed. And I always think it's funny when, you know, people are like, oh, are you better? And it's just like, uh, it's just this constant refinement of 
uh, yourself and your understanding of the trauma and how it impacted you. And um, you really have to look, you get granular on the things um, that have impacted you. And that takes you in, you know, into yourself and, and deeper exploration of um, who you are, and most importantly, who you're not. And I think a lot of the experiences that um, traumatic experiences um, that people experience shows them who they're not and really um, shows, you know, what they stand for and where, you know, what their moral structure is, is made of. And sometimes that gets uh, shaken to the core, um, you know, you know, and you start asking the hard questions, you know, why me? And um, how, how can I get better? And what, you know, what can I do to feel better? And, and those are the important questions. And that's what we were able to do over the time that we were walking across the country. And you sought different, I guess, avenues, modalities, therapies, mm. different. What worked for you? What did you find was he, the most healing of all of the things you learned? So I tried uh, all sorts of different um, therapies, uh, you know, cognitive, uh, behavioral therapy, EMDR, mm -hmm. um, different things like that. But I found a lot of success um, in meditation. And that was something that um, was important to me because it was a self-practice. And I wasn't, um, you know, when I left the military, I kind of threw everything out with it. And, you know, along with that was the discipline and a lot of the things that were helpful, like exercise and all those um, things that are actually really healthy for you. So uh, meditation was something that I could start reinstilling discipline into my life. So uh, I was taught a practice, uh, a mantra-based meditation while I was walking across the country. And um, it was the first time I felt any kind of relief. Um, from the stress that I was feeling from, um, you know, the day-to-day -day stressors that, that we experienced. So I knew that I was on to something and that it was up to me uh, to make it work. Uh, people just need to get through whatever uh, barriers they put up around it or, or preconceived notions. Because at that point, I was like, okay, I'm going to try whatever I can, regardless of what I look like, or, you know, how ridiculous I feel like I look, but like, I just wanted to feel better. And you have to kind of get to that point of saying, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, I'm going to try and if it doesn't work, I'm going to keep going, I'm keep going to try something different, right. So mm -hmm. we help. The nice thing about these practices is that there are so many different varieties and um, you know different paths to meditation and yoga. So there's some, there's something for everyone. You just have to uh, be a little bit disciplined about it and um, find something that makes you feel good. Obviously, I've never experienced the trauma that you've experienced, um, but I have experienced trauma, and for the longest time, I, I lived in my head. I felt like I didn't know what was happening around me. And I just, right. you know, and then, you know, people talk about meditation. I'm like, I don't know if I could just sit still. I have to be productive. I need to be doing something. Otherwise, I'm a failure. Just this year, I went into therapy uh, in Arizona and focused on trauma therapy. And I meditated every single day. And I was like, this is really hard. But then I did it every single day. Probably within a week and a half, two weeks of me really trying, 
I began to, everything was very clear. I was more aware of where I was, what I could, what, what was really beautiful around me. I was so, I was present. I was no longer walking into a room and not understanding how I got there. So it's really important that you mentioned that, um, you know, we disassociate ourselves from our body and we are, we're just all in the, in the mind space and we have to understand the conditioning that makes us that way. So let's look at the society that we live in. It's all about being productive and it's all about accomplishing and growing and doing better and bigger and different things. And meditation is not that meditation is sitting and being with yourself and observing the mind and observing the thoughts. And uh, the way that I was trained is that the physical practice of yoga releases stress and tension in the body solely for the purpose of sitting for meditation. So we have to be able to understand the nature of the mind and how it impacts us. And to be able to do that, we have to look at our conditioning. You know, how are we raised and, and the things that we believe in and why do we believe those things? So that goes back to the study of yoga as well, which is, you know, self-study. So all these things that are going on with us, we have to start asking questions um, about why. Why do we believe the things that we do? How were we raised and how are those things, how are we conditioned? You know, like those are the things that we need to look at and that helps us um, understand why we might be holding on, on to things and why we might be judging ourselves and why we're not able to forgive ourselves and, and all the different things that uh, create trauma in our, in our body. Yeah, I found that to be life-changing, understanding that. Um, yeah. What was your favorite part about your 2,700-mile journey? I think that's amazing. <laughs> I think the most amazing part about all of it was the support that we got from people that didn't even know us. Uh, so Anthony and I had set out on the first day, our, I think our rucksacks were about 90 pounds because we packed like no one was going to support us. We found out very quickly that we uh, had to have lighter rucksacks the, uh, to make it. So um, basically we had to, you know, surrender to the situation and hope that people would show support and, whether that was bringing us water or uh, a lot of people open their homes to us so that we could do laundry or have a bed to sleep in and shower and different things and people who had no idea who we were. Um, so th that was amazing. Um, and with all the things that we see in the media today and uh, everyone talks about how divided we are and um, as we were walking across the country, I didn't experience that. Uh, everyone who we talked to except maybe a few outliers were really supportive of what we were doing. And uh, that was really amazing for us. And that uh, as veterans gave us hope, it gave us um, hope for um, the country because uh, you know, we're told that you know, we're divided and people don't like each other. And, um, but you know, the majority of the people um, I went and that was across seven states um, were nothing but supportive and supportive of, of the people who are serving and um, supportive of their communities. And uh, I, I think that really gave us faith because, you know, coming out of war, you're pretty cynical and you see the worst that humanity has to offer and you kind of bring that back with you and you don't trust people and you don't trust, um, you know, people refer to it as a civilian population. 
um, and there's a lack of trust there. So this was a huge uh, point for us to be able to say, look, these people that don't even know us are being of service, you know, and that's what, you know, we, at least Anthony and I joined the military to do is to be of service to a greater cause and, and to help uh, people who need help and, and help people who uh, might not have the means to help themselves um, or who are being oppressed. So um, that was such a relief and, and really transformed us, I think, um, really brought, brought the, the walls down um, so we could really connect with uh, people again. Wow, that sounds really uplifting. It really does yeah. sound amazing. The people, strangers were as supportive as, as they were to other strangers. After everything that you've learned, you're doing a lot for the um, veteran community. What, what are you doing to help? Right now, I'm uh, volunteering for an organization called VETOGA. So VETOGA is a veteran-run uh, yoga school. So it's a 200-hour yoga teacher training for any veterans that are interested uh, in the healing arts. It's a very comprehensive, uh, intensive 200-hour training program. Um, so I'm, I'm helping by sharing my experience with uh, other veterans. And then we go out into our communities and we, we teach uh, courses, um, not so much these days, but uh, a lot of it's online now, but uh, we would go out and uh, you know, train veterans to be able to teach uh, yoga and meditation classes. And then in turn, they go and volunteer in their communities to provide stress management classes for uh, veterans and their families. I'm doing these yoga classes and, and, and you know, finding your way of healing from PTSD. Is there, is there, besides this organization, is there, a, from, from the Department of Veterans Affairs and how to transition back, I know that they really focus on transitioning back into civilian life through, you know, resume building and, and, you know, how to dress and all of the kind of superficial stuff, I feel. Right. Do you feel that they do enough transitioning back into civilian life um, mentally and emotionally? Well, I feel that since I've separated from the Army, the VA has gotten better. Uh, there's definitely room for improvement. Um, you know, the problem is uh, you can help someone write a resume, but if they're still dealing with trauma and stress. Um, it doesn't matter how good their resume is because their actions and behaviors, you know, in the workplace <clears throat> become challenging for, for, for employers. So um, again, I'm going back to, you know, proper stress management techniques um, and accountability. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that the VA, at least from since I've separated from the military, has been politicized. Uh, you know, veterans are essentially used as props during election season and then, you know, thrown to the curb um, or try to strip funding away from, you know, taking care of them, uh, which is really unfortunate. And, it, and it's sad that, you know, we have governments that are okay with sending our sons and daughters to war, but refuse to take care of them or take responsibility for uh, the consequences of war, which 
the men and women who have fought have to shoulder that burden and their families as well. Uh, a lot of people don't think about the families, but they suffer along with uh, the veteran um, as well. So a lot of families are, are suffering in silence and they don't know how to reach out or how to connect um, with um, proper services because the VA doesn't provide any um, care for family members, unfortunately. What, what is the best mental health advice for anyone interested in joining the armed forces? If you're thinking about joining the military, and I, I kind of have this personal stance of I'm not going to dissuade anyone from uh, signing up and being of service, uh, but there are things you need to take in consideration, um, you know, what's going on politically, what's going on globally. Uh, right now, um, probably going to be off with this number, but I think the United States military has a presence in something like 150 countries, 140 countries, something like that. Um, so chances are you're going to be deployed somewhere uh, at some time. Uh, so if you're going in, um, you know, really think about the strategies you have for managing stress. Uh, military inherently is a stressful situation. Combat is stressful. Um, they do their best to prepare you for that. Um, but you're going to encounter situations that aren't in training um, that you're going to have to deal with, manage, and you're going to have leadership um, that, that, you know, challenging leadership and um, a lot of those things. So really figuring out, all right, how do I manage stress? Uh, and what are my best strategies for doing that before you before you go in? And uh, those are the things that are important. Uh, if I had it, if I had it my way, I'd have you know some sort of stress management strategies in place in basic training. Also, kind of uh, moving into deployment. Also, having ways that soldiers, uh, sailors, airmen uh, are able to manage during deployment, and then when they get home as well. And then lastly, during separation. So there needs to be, you know, this kind of cycle of uh, stress management and decompression uh, that needs to happen. Um, and I think, you know, shorter deployments is a, is, a, is a good start, but, you know, we really need to um, change the mindset of the military for them to understand that, you know, asking for help is not a weakness. If you want to take care of your soldiers, you need to understand that you need to have them be able to move through their stress and see how they can um, manage it on their own. And that's building strength and character, right? Especially with leaders. If you're in a leadership situation and you understand that one of your men or women are struggling, right? As a mm -hmm. leader, how can I be a good leader to make sure that one, they're managing their stress. Two, I understand what's going on and I have like a good pulse of what's going on with the people that I'm in charge of and to be able to bring everyone together to support each other um you know there's the 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 uh, phrase no man left behind um so that should apply too with mental health right so we shouldn't be um kicking people out of the military because they're struggling with mental health um and we need to figure out ways um to move through it and that's true strength wow that is it, so valuable. Thank you for that advice. And for yeah. anyone listening, uh, is there anything else that you would want to share uh, with our audience? Yeah, I, I just think that 
Um, just generally speaking, um, we all have traumatic events in our life. Um, and I think the most important thing that I've come across is not to compare your trauma to someone else's. Uh, we all mm -hmm. have really unique experiences and we can't sit there and be like, well, your trauma is worse than mine. So therefore I'm not going to talk about mine. Right. Um, we all have uh, different resiliency, um, barriers, right? So some people can, um, take on a lot of stress and tension and they're okay with that. Other people, not so much. So we have to understand, um, that what might not impact us negatively could really be detrimental to someone else. Right. So it's something important when you, when you're discussing your trauma or talking to someone about it. Um, I, I, that's something that I just run into talking to veterans a lot. And, you know, some people, the first thing they'll say is, you know, I haven't been through what you've been through mm -hmm. and, you know, that's, it, you're not here to invalidate your experiences, you know? So it's important to understand that, you know, we all have, uh, stress and trauma and this is part of life and that we should all be able to openly discuss, you know, our, our struggles. So, uh, thank you so much. I, I can't tell you how much I've learned from you. And I'm just an amazing, valuable conversation with you. Thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. That was Tom Voss, trauma survivor, thriver, veterans, mental health advocate, and author, among so many accomplishments. And if you would like to learn more about Tom and his book, Where the War Ends, please visit my website, atstpodcast.com. That's the letter A, tstpodcast.com. Also, if you or someone you know is struggling with mental health, please text HOME to 741-741. I also encourage you to check out my Patreon community at patreon.com forward slash trauma survivor thrivers unite. This is not a substitute for professional health, but an extra resource where you could have full access to me um, and just be your most authentic self. Thank you so much for listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. I'm Morley Bidstock. Take care.